Good morning. Thank you, Ken, and worship team for leading us. And um, uh, just quickly say, if you're wondering where we didn't have a bulletin today, if you had one last week, nothing's changed. Uh, Joe and Mark need to get out of town for a weekend, and I just said, you know, let's let's forgo the bulletin this week since we didn't have anything to add more. Um, before I go any further, though, different than the first service, I um, from time to time, if you're not familiar with how the Spirit of the Lord may work, um, uh, sometimes He speaks things to our hearts that may just be for one person. Um, but uh, the Lord was uh, challenged me. There's somebody here today that feels that their capacity to sin is greater than anybody else's. And I, I'm just going to tell you, uh, if we have to make this about between you and me, because you may not connect with anybody else in here uh, before you leave or, or ever, um, listen, don't ever let a man stand in a pulpit um, preaching the word of God, who God, is, God has changed, uh, ever pit yourself as lower than that person. Because in God's eyes, you are still his creation, and he still loves you. And I feel so strongly, there's someone here that that is the very thought, whether you really process it that way or not, the way you're living is that uh, you're living without hope because you feel like um, your capacity to sin is greater than others. What that does, the enemy uses that to, to separate you um, from any chance to ever being able to relate to anyone in the Word of God. And very uh, ironically, if you will, or very spirit-led, uh, part of the message today is on that very subject about uh, us finding common ground and being able to relate not just between believers, but that others may come to know Christ. So uh, as I get into the message today, I just want you to keep that in your heart, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you. And you say, well, Pastor CJ, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit lives in me. Holy Spirit may not be living in your, your heart right now, but he is speaking to your heart. And so I'm going to challenge you. I don't know who it is, but I'm just going to tell you uh, that the Lord has called you out. And I don't mean to sound harsh about it, but that's exactly what it is. He's called you out uh, to get your attention. And... Um, We've been on a series about uh, Better Together, uh, a sermon series I have uh, borrowed from another church, uh, a guy I went to Bible college with, Brian Jarrett, who has uh, been in ministry a lot longer than I have, been very successful uh, in God's eyes in ministry. And I believe that with all my heart because I, I hear the compassion in his voice when he brings the word of God. I know that he lives it out. Um, but we've been in this series called Better Together, and the whole focus is on community. And this particular message today is titled Reaching Out Together. Because uh, let me tell you something, if we gather in this place together and never reach out to others who have not yet heard or not yet let the gospel change their life, then we'll be nothing more than a club. Your, your tithes and offerings become dues in your mind and it becomes very uh, in, introspective uh, and we, we do everything to benefit just us. And during the window of these weeks that we've been on this, uh, message we have chosen as a church to focus on two things and one of them is deepening our sense of community and relationship as a church family and the second is being more intentional and reaching out to community outside those around us and let me tell you something that you know this message may take a little different form than the first service because i, I can't i've got a non in my spirit right now and i'm just going to tell you that someone and some here today uh you're you right now are are at risk of, of a life of destruction for the simple fact that this message is exactly you. You have been uh, allowing yourself to be off on your own, trying to do everything under your own power, and you've had no community in your life. And when you finally find it, it's usually in the form of someone who's going to lead you to doing something destructive in your life. So you find community. You just find communities that are destructive. 
And so you look at church and you look at this church community and think, well, well, I have always heard and I've seen hypocrites in church. I've always heard and I've always seen this and that in the church. Let me tell you something. The church is not a perfect community. And so, and so the same fact for anything else you find in this world. Because they're always made up of people and people fail. So we're, we're wanting to deepen a sense of love and, inten- and be intentional with our, our church family and relationship. And also intentional in reaching out externally to the community around our church family. We've been in this conversation and we've centered around this theme better together. And from a spiritual standpoint, God designed all of us, whether it's natural to us or not, He designed us to be in relationship. Some of your greatest struggles may be that you're fighting the very design of the way God designed you to be in relationships. Last week we spent our time discussing five statements that reveal God's desire for us to do life together. And, and I've uh, made the mistake in the past spending a little too much time uh, recapping for those that might come and we, we uh, then take longer to get to the new stuff. So I'll make this recap very short. And those five statements uh, that reveal God's desire for us to live uh, or do life together were, why do we need each other? What, on the subject, why do we need each other? And, and the five statements are, I need others to walk with me. We talked about the fact that Scripture describes this journey with the Lord as a walk. That's the terminology used because it's a journey. You're starting at the beginning, heading towards the end. And then the other is, I need others to work with me. I need others to watch out for me. Somebody's got to have my back. Another appeal to unhealthy communities is one is people watch your back. Street gangs, biker uh, clubs, whatever it is, it's, it's always that faction of it is, I'm going to find people who will have my back. Um, number four, I need others to wait and to weep with me, to walk with me through difficult times and tragedies, highs and lows of life. Um, and, and then fifthly, I need others to witness with me because the greatest story ever told is more powerful when we all tell it together. We are wired for relationships. I mean, out of all that God created in the beginning, think about it, in the Garden of Eden, the animals, the earth, when, you know, when he created light and darkness, all these things, there was one thing he critiqued. There's one th- thing that he took time to say, there's something wrong with this. Everything else, it's, and it's good, and it's good, it's beautiful, it's good. And this is what it was. The one thing he critiqued, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. God hates loneliness and he desires us to be in community with each other because community is God's answer to the human epidemic of loneliness. You don't have to have a hundred friends. It's really difficult to have a hundred deep relationships. I mentioned many times as a pastor, it's hard for me if I try to set out, you know, just in this service, you look around how many people and keep in mind the first service will have a decent amount of people. So when we got 70, 80 adults, for me to have a meaningful conversation relationship with 80 people every week, because if two or three weeks go by, then someone's feeling left out. So that's not how it's designed. As a community, we're to be in relationship with each other. So you, you need at least three or four or five there with you. And the, the tragedy is that most of us today don't have one single intimate friend. We have lots of acquaintances, but um, we don't have anybody looking out for our spiritual growth. We don't have anybody walking with us through life's ups and downs. Many of us had a grandparent where we stayed out of church our whole life, and it's like when that grandparent dies, well, I'm going to go to church now because grandma would have wanted it that way. Because that was the one person in our life who we felt like, hey, I may have lost out with God, but I've still got hope as long as I have this grandparent to help point me to him. 
And when they're gone, they're like, okay, now I've got to reach out on my own. It's something you may not process and think through, but I tell you, the few funeral, funerals I've done in my short time as a pastor is very common. Uh, you know, we'll see people come for a while. After a relative passed away, they'll come to church for a while. And then once that wears off and the shock of losing that relative and, and, and it's not as much motivation anymore to do it for them. It's always got to be because you need it. And you know that you need it. You recognize that. If, uh, if you search the scriptures, you'll find that God created you to search scriptures. You'll find that God created you as, indi- uh, uh, as an individual to do five things. And I'm going to give those to you. Here's the five things he created you to do. Number one, he created you to magnify him, to magnify God, which that means you're created to worship. So we can just interchange that magnify God to worship. So you're created to worship. Second, he created you uh, to mature in relationship with God and your relationship with people, and that's discipleship. Um, Because that maturation process, uh, discipleship happens best through relationship. It's the same principle we see in our families with parents. I mean, a father... Um, when you have children, the father begins to invest in that child so that they'll mature. And even though that child may mature more and more and need less of some things from the father, you'll see people my age, 40-some years old, I live right next door to my dad. I still ask his advice and opinions on things. You never outgrow that because that maturing process is never ending. As long as you have that father figure, that authority figure, who you see as a rock in your life or someone to lead and guide you, you'll continue to go with them. It's just about different things. I don't have to ask my dad anymore how to tie my shoes. Sometimes you guys see my shoes untied, you think, yeah, you do. But, but I may ask him other things. You know, um, so the other thing, number three, he created you for membership. Now, I'm not talking about what some of you may have experienced in the life of church where you go enough times and you've paid offerings and so you get a little laminated card that says you're a card-carrying member of that church. We're not talking about that in membership. What God intended when I say membership is that um, you're a part of uh, a vital relationships in those churches. That God created you to become a covenant part- partaker in the local body of believers. To walk with people in the local uh, fleshing out of the church. And what do I mean by fleshing out? Because, listen, we can't come in here and ignore each other and expect that our lives are going to grow in the Lord because nobody's holding us in check. You could be, you could be living a, a completely opposite life of what God would want you to be and sitting in a pew week after week if you never get to know anyone in the church. The fourth thing uh, we were created for is ministry. When God created you, he gave you gifts and talents that were meant to use to perpetuate his kingdom, to grow his kingdom, and that happens through ministry. And some of you may have uh, thought what I did for many years growing up in church, that that meant that you get done with high school, you go on to a four-year Bible college, you get a degree, you get a ministry license, and then you're a minister. That's not the biblical view. That's the biblical, biblical view of the office of the pastor or the shepherd. But ministry happens with the whole body. It's as simple as you telling your story. So some of you are sitting here saying, I, have, I don't have anything worthwhile to offer to God or to, to get people to want, what, uh, want God. Well, let me tell you something. If you made a decision to follow Christ and you acted on that by letting him change you, then you have something that people will want. Why? Because you get numb to the fact that he's gotten you out of situations, right? Right, Isaac? He, he, you can get numb. We just talked about this. As time goes on, everybody's like thinking, oh, Isaac's fine. But Isaac's a relatively new believer. We can't assume Isaac's fine. We have to be in his life and, and know he's fine. You know, he acted like, don't apologize to me that you hadn't talked to me in a week. And I'm like, I, that deserves an apology because I have to, we're in this together. I've made commitments to Isaac that I will walk with him. So, you know, this is as simple as um, not just a pastor uh, mentoring or discipling others. It's that fact that, 
If God has done anything in your life, there are people who are so lonely, their family is so broken, they feel so hopeless that the fact that something significant happened in your life and you can attribute to that there is actually a God, someone can tell them there is a God who loves you like he did me and let me tell you what happened in my life. That's ministry. So, so that's the, the fourth thing. The fifth thing, God made you for mission. And you were created by God and gifted uh, with a story that we just talked about. And that story is carried out by your mission. Um, and that mission is for us to take it outside the church. I know many of your stories. And once I know them, they've strengthened me. But others need to hear that story, and that's your mission. So today I want us to begin with, we're not going to get all through this particular message. Uh, it's going to spread out maybe more than, more than another Sunday. Uh, but I want us to begin where I just ended with mission. Um, as I said, he wants you to share his love with other people, with friends, with family, with people you work with. It's meant to be shared uh, to show his love to people who don't care, uh, who don't uh, not yet know Christ. And the reason I know this is because the scripture says he's not willing that any perish, but all have eternal life. That means he hasn't labeled you as you're more special than someone else. He wanted to seek and save you like he does the person that seems like the worst sinner. And we get ourselves in trouble. Here in a, a couple weeks, we'll have a missionary to the Muslims. And right now, there's so much tension that if I was to tell you that some Muslim student on, on, Chi Alpha, or I mean on uh, university campus in Fayetteville got saved and is coming next week to church, I think most of our church would be pretty welcoming. You know, they'd be like, great, they saw the light. But if I was to tell you that there's been an ISIS person that has been captured, came to know the Lord, and they've gotten grace somehow, and they're coming to sit right next to you, and they beheaded Christians, that's where it gets a little difficult. Because right now, we want justice. We want God to carry out some justice on those folks. But I want to introduce you to some terminology that has been used for some time at North Place Church uh, in Texas that this sermon has come from. Uh, and I really begin to favor it. While I'm careful about Christianese or, or terminology where people come from the outside and don't know what we're talking about, uh, you know, we used to talk about, uh, boy, that person's on fire for Christ, you know, and they're looking for the smoke, <laughs> you know, because where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, I, I don't want us to get to where people don't understand what we're saying, but here's something that has been said in church for a long time. People who don't know Christ are lost. And that comes from a scriptural basis because it says that he has come to seek and save the lost. But let me tell you, I can, I can see how people come in. You're saying, you're lost. I'm one of the found. I hope you can find your way. You know, and, and, it, and some people aren't ready yet to confront things in life that, that recognize to them that they're lost. And so that can put them, uh, pit them against Christians. But at North Place, they call them the sought. And that's because God is seeking after them with all his heart and all his love. And why does uh, he want to reach, us, reach out to us that way? It's because he wants everybody in his family. If you have four or five kids or you have a big extended family and there's that one that's a black sheep, there's that one that, that everybody knows that they're not living the way the rest of the family is and they're living a destructive life, you know, uh, believing families pray for that lost sheep, right? They pray for that black sheep to come back. God... God has done that with us, and we should want that everyone comes back, and he wants his whole family together. You know, God never made a person he didn't love, a person he didn't have a purpose for. Uh, he never made a person that Jesus didn't die for. So he wants us to share good news, the good news. But he never intended for us to share that message of good news, the message of God's grace. He never intended us to do it alone. 
He wants you to fulfill your mission to the world in relationship with other people. Now listen to what Paul says to the Philippians. Listen to this. He says, you are standing together side by side with one strong purpose, to tell the good news. He starts it out, double emphasizing. You are standing together. He wants to make clear, side by side, with one strong purpose, to tell the good news. And I want our hearts to focus in on this standing together, to tell the good news, because the apostle is telling us that our outreach, our mission to the world, happens better together. It's the way God designed it. It's more impacting when we stand together and tell the good news. It's the same thing that trips up many big-time preachers when it becomes too much about them and their name plastered over, but they got a whole team of people working together to reach people. And then pride steps in, and, and they start doing things because it's glorifying them and not God. But the very next verse of the same chapter says, Paul says, you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. You've been my partners. I mean, we choose that terminology when we talk about people who are part of our members of our church because we don't want you to just look at it as, oh, now I've arrived and I'm going to sit here and I'm a card-carrying member. You're a partner, which, which means you're working together with us. So I want to look for the next few moments. There's seven ways you and I can partner together in spreading the good news. We're not going to cover all seven today, but I want to get to as many as I can. In partnering together, the mission God has called us to um, we, we need to work together so the world knows the love and the grace of God and that they have an adequate witness of who Jesus Christ is. So as we're doing these seven things, to make it easy, we've, we've brought out the word partner. So if, you're, uh, if you like acronyms, if you can imagine we're going to take that word partner and we're going to write it long ways down a piece of paper, and, and next to each letter of the word partner, we're going to draw out one of these uh, seven uh, ways you can and you and I can uh, partner together in spreading the good news. But before we do that, um, before we get to the letter P, we have to make a choice. There's something this morning that if you have not been confronted with this, I have to first confront you with it, and then we have to get past it. You're going to have to make a decision right now whether you are going to finally do more for Christ than just look after yourself. You have to stop and make a choice to be unselfish. To stop caring about your own lives only and begin focusing on other people's lives. We're going to have to ask ourselves an honest question. Do we really believe this stuff? Do we really believe there's a heaven and hell? Listen, I grew up in church. I've got a great family and a great heritage. And I still struggled with God. Are you really real? Or am I just being brainwashed to believe all this? I mean, how does a child know when you grow up? And how do you really know it's real? Or are you just, that's all you've known? And I, and I had to confront that before I ever went to Bible college because I'm like, I'm not wasting a good part of my life on something that's not real. And God showed himself to me in some ways as a, as a youth and on that I could never deny him being real again. They, they weren't just, you know, oh, coincidental things. I mean, you know, one is when he, uh, what we call in the Pentecostal circles being slain in the spirit. I opened my eyes, thought he killed me. But realized I was looking at some mercury lights in a gym. Because I was laying on the floor, and I was standing before that. And, and also, he baptized me with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking tongues. And secretly, I didn't really believe in that before. I never told anybody that. But, but in some of the churches, there's always sister so-and-so that I didn't like the way she acted normally, and here she's the only one getting the Spirit, you know? So I'm like, well, it can't be real because I don't believe, I think she's demon-possessed or something. But, but when it happens to you, 
And it has the same effect of what Scripture says it will when it lines up with Scripture. So what happened to me is nobody at school knows I'm a pastor's kid or that I'm a believer because I'm hiding out like, like the disciples did after Jesus was crucified. And all of a sudden I get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I can't shut up about it. And I don't care if the, if the, if the ninth graders are putting me in the trash can upside down because I told them about Jesus. I don't care anymore. There's a boldness, there's a braveness that happened like that. Not because of a preacher's great message, not because of anything. I could point it exactly to the fact that God had filled me with the Holy Spirit and I could no longer keep quiet about it. So we have to deal with this. We have to, we have to really believe, and that's one reason why I preach about that and I pray that you guys are filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking tongues. Not so that we can be a Pentecostal church only by name, not for, just for the excitement in the services, but because I know that once you do that, all this stuff I'm preaching about us reaching the lost, I, it's not you doing it for me. It's not you doing it because of a sermon. It's doing it because you're compelled to by the Holy Spirit. And if we do and are intellectually honest with ourselves and say that we really believe all this, that we really believe there's a heaven and hell, that we really believe the gospel, and yet there's nothing going on in our life to make the people that we love and care about aware of that reality, then I would have to ask some really hard questions of you this morning, and some to, some to do with integrity. To ask some really hard questions about your character. If we really believe that man has the possibility of facing an attorney without Christ, and yet we remain in silence, uh, uh, silence says something about what we truly believe. Or it says something about the kind of character and integrity that we walk in. Listen, the Holocaust happened because many good people stayed silent. There were plenty of German people who had never wanted to see happen what happened. But it happened in progression where they, they stayed silent when, when things didn't seem right. They stayed silent when things got out of control. And we're going to have to make a choice to keep the love of Christ to ourselves uh, and be selfish and, do, and, and, and commit a selfish crime um, or we're going to have to decide that we, are believe, we believe it enough and we're going to share it because we love people that much. It's a choice we're going to have to make and stop and consider the seriousness of what's at stake with our silence. You know, how do, we, how do we use groups like the men's and women's Bible study here at New Song or, or the youth or the college and career? Um, how do we use our church family to reach out to show the people that we care about them uh, with the love and grace and goodness of God? I mean, how do we partner together to do that? Well, the first in the, that letters of partner is pray together. Number one is we have to pray together. The first thing when you get into men's and women's Bible study or youth, when you get into your youth service or you get in, into those groups, the first thing you do is begin to connect through prayer with those in your group. I mean, there's probably people in your life, I know there's people in your life who haven't uh, chosen to follow Christ. And there's people contemplating the claims of Christ because your life has spoken to them, but you need the backup of prayer and you need to get people to pray with you about that. If you're not in a group and you say, I can't, I'm not a youth, I'm not college career, um, I can't make it to men's Bible study, I can't make it to women's Bible study, then you don't need me to sh sanction it for you to get a couple people you trust in the body to get together and pray together regularly for those who are lost. What are you doing? What's the active part you're taking to reach those that are sought? We can't force anybody to love God, but you can pray for them. And prayer does what God does. Prayer can melt hearts. Prayer can warm a cold heart. It can activate and arouse an apathetic heart. It can change stubborn hearts. I've seen it done many times. 
yesterday, took the youth to go see Woodlawn, uh, that movie Woodlawn, and some of the characters in that were people who were very adamant against uh, faith in God, and uh, through, um, through prayer, uh, they had prayer meetings in schools, uh, you saw people begin to come to know Christ. Prayer can do whatever God can do. People can reject your arguments. They may refuse to listen to your logic, um, but they, have, uh, they are powerless against prayer because prayer goes straight to the heart. And the greatest thing about prayer, it's not uh, bound by time and space. It reaches long distance. I prayed, I remember one time in the youth service. There's a combined youth service in the area. And my, my brother was away from the Lord. And he's not in here this morning. He had to travel for work. But um, I remember my sister and I both burdened for my brother. And, and I talked to her. And we got someone else in the altar to pray with us. And you know, by the end of that service, I opened the door. And my brother comes in and goes down to the altar and gave his heart back to the Lord. Prayer works. My parents prayed me back into the relationship with Christ. You know, we, we discount so many times how powerful it is just to join together in prayer. Something happens when people bring others, other people along to uh, begin to pray with them. It's the power of prayer. It's the power of moving the heart of God towards what he desires to do. I'm telling you, sometimes because it doesn't happen on our timing or because the person seems impossible we're praying for, then, then we, we give up. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to, to continue to pray for one another. I had a conversation with someone recently that just said, you know, sometimes we just need to begin to dream again. You know, God uh, gave men dreams and gave people dreams. He, gave, he said, without vision, the people perish. You know, uh, we, we give up on life or we give up on others and we just need again to dream again about what God can do in their life. Some of us have given up on our nation and our hearts. Begin to dream again about what God can do in your community and your nation. Get some people on board with you. Tell your group so that people you know can touch God, praying about it because God can work, out, uh, work things out on behalf of us when we pray. And let me tell you something. Some of us are, are embarrassed about the prayer requests. You know, I grew up in church where uh, that was called an unspoken request, right? So you have corporate prayer and you have prayer requests and someone says, I have an unspoken one. Maybe we shouldn't have done it that way. Maybe all along we should have had where those prayer requests should never be unspoken. It just should be that maybe that's for the small group that you trust and are connected with. Because I will pray very differently for somebody who's a splinter in their finger than someone whose relative is suicidal and tried several times. There will be a fervence to my prayer because there's a desperation there. The other one I'll just say, hey, bacon will get that splinter out if you wrap it on there for a little bit. <laughs> bacon fat, right? It changes the way we pray for people. We should really get out of being scared about people knowing what's going on with this. It, it's what the enemy uses to say, I want you to be alone in this. We need to bring our prayer requests. And so you say, Pastor, how are we supposed to pray? Well, Colossians 3, 4 tells us this way. He says, pray for us that God will give us an opportunity to tell people his message. In Bible college, I had a class called um, Personal Evangelism. And Dr. Watson, Jonathan Watson's dad, called it uh, Divine Encounters. We're praying, saying, God, if you will, I'm going to head out of the house today. I'm going to head to work, and I want to be able to tell people about you. Will you prepare the way? Will you prepare their hearts? Will you, make that, uh, will you make that event open for me to do that? And he would do it. I gave the example so many times about when, when I was in Bible school and uh, the leader of the, uh, the street witnessing team, he was graduating, and he just came to me at the very first time I came and said, you're going to lead the street wrestling team here. 
You know, there's like 20, 30 people. It's like, ah, you know, you need to pray again. You're crazy. But the very first time I went out, I was scared. And I sat on a bench. I said, God, I'm scared to death. I mean, there was like Satanist groups that came out to the square. There's all kinds of weird that stuff that went on at you know, Springfield, downtown square. I'm sitting there on a bench. I said, God, if you want me to talk to somebody, you'll have to bring them to me. Almost challenging God. And in a, in, a, in, a, in a not so good way, I was praying that same prayer for a divine appointment. And then this businessman in a suit walks up, sits down, puts his head in his hands, and with tears says, do you believe in God? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. His wife had just left him, and he was desperate for hope for someone who might be able to tell him about the power of God to heal his marriage. So we're praying for divine opportunity. We're praying for open doors that God, God, for God to let us share his love and share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends and with people we care about. And as we pray for opportunities, this is what happens. You will start seeing them everywhere. Why is that? Why is it? There's, there's a, something weird about it. You pray for opportunities, and then all of a sudden they start happening. Why? Because they are always there. See, God's not actually creating any opportunity for you. Sometimes they get kind of crazy, like that one I described, but they're already, already there. The difference is your heart got soft enough to say, I'm willing, God, I'm willing to, to be your mouthpiece. I'm willing to do something about this. And then he opens your eyes to they're right there all along. Many times we pass by people with great needs just because we've never come to the place where we will let God soften our hearts. We've never come to the place of surrender and says, God, I'm willing if you'll create the opportunity. But they're always there. They've been there. Uh, they're all around us. But when we start to pray, we notice them and become aware. When I start to pray for my family, I start seeing the needs in my family. When I start praying for my friends, I start seeing the needs of my friends. When I start praying for my coworkers, I start becoming more compassionate and concerned about my coworkers' lives. Prayer for them changes my heart. It's why when you have that boss that's too much in your business and are making life rough for you coming to work every day, and then you begin to uh, sincerely pray for them and pray that God will reach them, all of a sudden you have compassion for them and no longer do you get so upset when they make things rough for you. You're just hoping that you can be a, a, a witness to them. So it changes your heart. So what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to get in a group somewhere. For right now, small groups for us means men's and women's Bible study. Youth, don't skip your chance to be in youth or whatever it is. Uh, college and career age, don't miss the opportunities when they, when they meet. And very soon I will be uh, taking some steps and you'll be hearing me talk about a different small group format where we're not just making small groups around age and gender but it's around commonalities that we have, things in common, and, and groups begin to form and be in the homes. Some people who are new to this congregation have even already offered, if you do small groups, I'll host one in my home. And, you know, there's some things we do preliminary to, to make sure that those are going to be healthy. They're not going to be gossip groups or, or get off topic or somebody's going to railroad the whole thing and it be uh, non-beneficial for everyone. But, but as we move, I want to challenge you that whatever small group you have, you have to plug in and begin to ask them to pray for those people who are the sought in your life. Those people who do not yet know Christ. You want to ask them to push those people to the top of their prayer list and begin to see God do things in their life. So then we get to the second in, in the word partner. We come to A, which is appeal to common interest. So just tying into what I just said, before you can share the good news or the grace of God with anybody, you have to establish relationship. And before you can reach anyone, you have to relate to them. I mean, what you have to find out uh, 
is what you have in common. You know your common experiences, interests, your, your common needs, uh, common hurts. Do you like to fish, golf, cook, shop? Things that you think are unspiritual, but they're the way to connect. You know, maybe napping is your, your hobby. So maybe you can go sit with someone on the front porch and talk a little bit about Jesus and then nap. Whatever it is, I don't know. But, but for some common interests, you, you have to, you know, maybe it's kids. I know there's many people that we've connected because of our, our kids are the same age. I mean, maybe it's because your kids are in basketball together with somebody else's kids or baseball or football. I mean, that's the reason why at New Song Church, a lot of our small group models are around an interest-based group. So it's men getting together, women getting together, young adults. But we need to expand that to things that mean more to people than their age and gender. You can only go so deep at that. But there's people who are here that are professionals, who their world really revolves around trying to move up that corporate ladder and all. And it's not, not that bad. You know, they're here honestly trying to seek God and make God number one and, and also provide for their family well. And they may not uh, really get a, uh, be able to have something in common with someone who their aspiration is to, to finally figure out some way to not ever work again. You know? I mean, there, there's differences. There's things that we sometimes we, we make a, a villain in, in creating relationships, and it's just normal. You know, some of you may like things I don't. You guys are big sports fans. I'm sorry, but I'm probably just never going to get on the couch with you watching a game and hollering for a team. You put out some beanie weenies, and I'll be your friend. <laughs> I can relate to that. We can have a common interest in food, but I'm not going to care about your football team. I'm sorry. And then when you try to tell me about the game, I'm, you're going to see a blank stare because I've already shut you off when you said football. All right? I mean, it's okay. We want the passion and the interest of groups that we, it draws us together because there will be some Christ followers in that group that don't know Christ, and you're not going to have a commonality with them in the spiritual realm because they've not yet made that decision. You see what I'm saying? We want to relate to non-believers so that they can know Christ, but yet we don't sometimes let just common things, common interests, bridge that gap. Many times having common interests will immediately form relationships. And the relationships become a bridge for Jesus to walk from your heart to the heart of another person and knock on the door of their heart. It did it for me when I became interested in motorcycle ministry. Barty and I became instant friends because of uh, that commonality. We met it the first time. Uh, he invited me right all the way to Minnesota in the first conversation. And, and I was that kind of guy that I like spur of the moment crazy things. That was an instant win. And then when I became a pastor, there's some other pastors in, in this area that I've become very close with because of that bond as pastors. So I'm challenging you today to find appeal, a common interest with other people. Um, there's families at New Song that over the last seven years or less, the fabric of mine and Jen's life have been woven in with the fabric of their life just for the simple fact of our kids are the same age. You don't have to have some big wow thing that you do um, that you got to find someone else, you know. I don't know of anybody that skydives in here. Um, but, you know, if I had the money, I would definitely jump in there with someone who skydives. Um, but... It, it has to start out with something. And then there's times it changes. And don't sweat it when God changes your group. Kids get older and all of a sudden, you know, your kids aren't in football together. And you find out all along that was what the tie you had. And God moves you on to somebody else and moves them on to somebody else. Be okay with it. Don't get all hurt and think that they just don't love you anymore. It's just that's how we work. God has created us socially like that, and we interact that way. It's not a bad thing. We always need to have some tie to others in the church and not be like, oh, you're not my group. I can't talk to you. See somebody heading your way to talk to you who's not in your group. It's like, you know, get away from them. 
it, it's not that, but we have to have deeper relationships. They're not going to happen all the time with people who, who have completely opposite lives of, as you. I mean, Paul said, I be, I'm all things to all people. That, that was his effort in sharing the gospel. I'm not, I'm not so sure that Paul, in his time of, of uh, recovering from uh, ministry travels and all that, that you know, he forced himself into deep relationships with people who were completely different than him. We saw that with Paul, right, there's a little situation of Paul ministry about uh, who should go along on a ministry trip. And, and so we know Paul didn't necessarily get along with everybody in ministry, right, or at least think they need to come along. But I see other families where the kids are aging and, and, and things are changing, and, and so then they disconnect from the body altogether. Uh, they don't recognize that God is just moving them on to, another, to no, other relationships. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. So you pray together. You, you appeal to common interests together. And, and um, next week we'll get into more. But, but I want to just, uh, I moved through this a little quicker than first service, but uh, just give you a little preview. Um, the next ones are, are, you reach out in love. And we learn to reach out through, through the love of Christ that's common in us. Um, we also, let me see, I'm get, getting lost in my notes here. Uh, We'll look at different ways um, that once you build those relationships and begin to relate, different ways that you begin to grow in those relationships. But we're going to have to we're going to have to go back to that question over and over until you can sell it in your heart. How far are you willing to go to actually see in your personal life that there is a God who is powerful and can change your hearts and lives? I mean, we have to first decide that, and then once we decide that, we have to realize that it can't work alone. God didn't design it that way. It's just not going to work. And it's very similar when, you know, if all of a sudden you decided that your washing machine is going to be your new rock tumbler for your rock collection, you know? It's not designed that way. It's going to come apart eventually. Same thing with, with the body of Christ. Trying to do it on your own, trying to stay the lone ranger in the group, trying to keep your personal space, trying never to let people get in your life. That's why you will find there's no value in, in, in following Christ is because you've not truly understood how it works. You've never given a chance through faith to, to get to know who he is. And one of the greatest things of who God is, who Jesus is, is he created us to be together and to be a community together. So ask yourself, what's my issues? We'll get into more of that next week to start confronting, what's my issues? I mean, what is it that's keeping me from this? Why is this so difficult? Well, because the sinful nature in us wants us to be alone. Wants us to be lonely, broken, and pulled apart in every way in our lives, from our family, from friends, from good, healthy communities. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us a, a great place to start with a community, Lord, that things are already happening now where I see a sense of community really uh, being forged, Lord, where people are, are actually at the place where uh, if someone says, uh, how are you doing? They say, okay, but they're really not. That person is actually able to say now, baloney, I know you're not. Lord, I think about the young man that found his way to a parking lot. I prayed in a court, uh, in front of a courthouse one day. God, where most of our conversation was me looking at him and I saying, you're not okay. Tell me what's going on. Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit can 
do a mighty thing in our hearts when we open ourselves up to have deeper relationships, a real sense of community. We need to be partners, Lord, in this thing. And then church, you know, um, there are some who, who don't know Christ. And, and the thing is, is you'll never really get them to hear uh, the good news if they can't first see it in you. And the only way they're going to see it in you is for them to really know you. You've got to let that bridge be built from your heart to theirs, that Jesus can just walk across that bridge and knock on their heart and say, let me in. With every head bowed and eye closed, I don't want to close this morning out without giving an opportunity. If someone here does not have a relationship with Jesus right now, you know in your heart that you don't, you don't ever think to pray, and then you do, you know that there's no relationship there. Maybe you've never started one. Maybe you've completely let uh, yourself be distanced from Christ and the body of Christ. And today, you want to commit your life to God. You want to let Jesus be Lord of all in your life and begin to to build bridges for, for you, between you and others, that he could truly heal you, bring restoration, bring freedom, break the bondage in your life. If you're here this morning, I just want, while everybody has their eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand shortly so I can pray for you. You can put your hands down. I, I appreciate the honesty anymore before we move on. It, it's your opportunity. The, the, nu- the nudge you feel in your heart right now is not me. I'm not that good of a preacher. It's the Holy Spirit. Knocking on the door saying, let me in. If you raise your hand, I just want you, this, this is not some format prayer that you have to pray to be saved, but I want to help you in, in praying much like I did. Uh, uh, what some churches refer to as sinner's prayer, but it's really what the Bible says, that if you confess your sins, if you repent from your sins, you confess that Jesus is Lord, you believe that he is truly Lord and allow him to be Lord of your life, then you are saved. Then your name is written in the Lamb's book of life at that moment and that you are headed to heaven with the rest of God's family. So if you raise your hand, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I've sinned and I've separated myself from you. Forgive me. I want you to be Lord of my life. I have faith and I believe in you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, while everybody's still got their head bowed, if you raise your hand, just think for a moment. I'm standing up here, you're looking at me as a preacher, but you and I took the same journey. And God had a rough time with me. It took 20 years to get me in a pulpit, but just think, maybe it's not a pulpit, but whatever, but God has a purpose for you before you made this decision today. And the things that will happen in your life can be incredible, but never give up. Don't let yourself be separated from the body. Get plugged in. Um, push other people in the body to pray with you, to read the word together. Don't let them, don't let them off the hook. You have the authority by God's word to hold them accountable to help disciple you. So if they start to fall off, let them know, I need someone to, to disciple me. Church body, we need to commit that those that accept the Lord here, we're all in with them. There's, there's no going back. We, we are all in. We will sacrifice time. We'll si- sacrifice finances. What it is to see them disciple, that they may strengthen and grow in the body. And then the next step, the Lord says that when you make that decision, then you should make a public confession of faith, that, that we need to schedule time for you to be baptized. It's a symbol of you finally laying that old person down and, and the decision you made to, to come up, uh, to be resurrected like Christ did, a new creature, new creation. 
So I want you to see me after the service if you raise your hand and, and let's talk about baptism. Everybody can look up here. Church, we, we are really, uh, God is moving in a great way. I'm seeing things happen in our small groups. I'm seeing things happen between believers here. You may not even recognize it, but, but God has taken these, uh, taking his word, uh, these messages on communities, begin to really press us and make us confront the things that's always kept us just kind of in the crowd. We're going to be a community here one way or another because that's where God wants to do his new song. I hope you will let yourself be a part of it. Amen. Love y'all.